0: Bible reading today is from Psalms 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, I remembered my songs in the night, my heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning again, everyone. As I mentioned in part of the interview, uh, part of my role this year is to work with pastors in the southern region to support and encourage them, mainly behind the scenes. But I thought as the year kicked off, it's also a good chance for us to get to know each other a little, as I will be supporting you in those key moments uh, as we did recently when we are finding uh, the Marshmans uh, look, as you looked for a new pastor. So I thought today I would choose a psalm to preach on that would give you a little bit of an insight into me and to my heart and what's formed me over the years. So I've chosen a psalm of lament, Psalm 77. Because for me, I think I've learned the most about myself and God during times of fairly intense suffering. Uh, 11 uh, years ago, uh, I was two months into my first year of ministry. I had a congregation to look after at Trinity Church Adelaide. And then on the Friday morning came a phone call from my dad that my brother was missing. And my brother had had a long running battle with depression. An hour later, uh, I was one of the first ones, I was the first one, to find out that he'd taken his life. And had to tell his wife and three kids. As you can appreciate, that was a really tough time that day, and the months and years that followed for many. And if we went around the room today and asked you to reflect on your kind of worst day in life, there would be many stories that we could share of uh, moments of great loss as well. And in a church family like this, If we don't know how to grieve and suffer well as followers of Jesus, it can create quite a barrier, firstly between us and God, and a barrier between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we look out on those in a church family like this, and we see people who are suffering, many of us have a great heart to help, but also don't know what to say and to think we have to have the, the perfect Bible verse uh, for the moment or theological reflection. And because those things are really hard to come by in times of fairly intense suffering, people often then choose to say, not much at all. And as a pastor and assignment gets to know you, and as, as Matt already does, you will know and have an appreciation on every day of great celebration, uh, like, the dedication that we had this morning, it will also, amongst our community, set off times of grief for those who have perhaps had a really hard time uh, falling pregnant or remembering someone that they have lost. For every wedding announcement that we want to celebrate together with great joy, there are always some grieving, uh, lost or broken relationships or grieving the fact that they're in a difficult one right now. And across our church family, we have those suffering through many types of trials, poor mental health, physical health, underemployment, degenerative diseases, losing losing loved ones. And if we don't have a culture or ability to talk about these things with one another in a church family, we can kind of run the risk of just operating on a very superficial level. And even more importantly... If when suffering strikes, we don't know how to relate to God, it can be quite spiritually deadly. So whether you're suffering right now, or have been recently, I hope this reflection on Psalm 77 is really helpful to you. Yet equally, if life's going great, I hope you pay close attention as well, because the best time to learn how to suffer well is actually when you're not suffering. And it's a great time always to learn how to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ's world as well. It's a necessary skill for Christians to possess for our own good knowing how to relate to God in times of suffering and loss and to help our brothers and sisters as well. So it would be great to have your Bibles open in front of you or on your phones uh, to Psalm 77. And as we turn there, I have a question for some of you. For those of you who are uh, familiar with the Bible, uh, this is not a rhetorical question, you can call out uh, the answer if you like. Who is the character in the Old Testament that first comes to mind as you think about suffering? Can you take us? Job. Job, yes. How many people answered in one voice? In the book of Job, we read of a man who suffers the unimaginable loss of his children. Possessions and much more. And for 40 chapters, we read of his pain, his complaints to God, and those who try to counsel him with the common religious wisdom of the day. I've always found Job a pretty hard book to get my head around, and when I'm reading through it, I'm always kind of wondering whether what the counsellors are saying is wiser points or partially cruel, perhaps, as they theologize about God. And Job goes as far at points as to accuse God of becoming his enemy and having lost control of the situation. In his pain, Job gets it spectacularly wrong about God and says some things that Christians, you know, in polite circles would think we dare not say that to God. Yet at the end, in the final chapter, 42, verse 7, God commends Job but is angry with his three quite miserable counsellors. It's the key verse we're given to understand what's been going on in the book of Job. And in the more literal translation, it's stated that God is angry with the counsellors for not speaking about God what is right, like Job has, which I've always found a little bit confusing. But as modern scholarship has come year on year to kind of understand the Hebrew language more, It's a very compelling argument that that whole verse is most naturally translated to referring about Job's friends to say they had not spoken to God as his wife. As Job has not spoken to God as his wife. Not about God, but spoken to God. You see, to me that makes sense of the book of Job quite a lot. Job and his pain, his accusations against God, was the only one in the narrative to kind of keep speaking to God in prayer, even though he got it badly wrong at multiple points. He was commended for praying. Yet God's anger burned against Job's miserable counsellors because, as some believers still tend to do in a crisis today, all they did was stand around and speculate about God as Job suffered instead of speaking to God in prayer. When suffering comes, God as a loving Father wants us to pour out ourselves in prayer to Him. Even if in our pain and anger we get the content wrong, we want this to be a people who speak to God as is wrong. makes total sense about it when you think of family relationships. What loving Father wouldn't want their child in their distress to run to them and to tell them what's on their heart? And it's this understanding that I think helps us to really get a grasp of the Psalms, which give us a kind of a spiritual vocabulary to go to God in prayer. 41% of the Psalms, actually, are what we call the Psalms of Lament. It's the biggest chunk by far, in Psalms, where we read of the Psalms pouring out their fears, their doubts, their complaints. And many, like Psalm 77 today, level the kind of accusation at God like Job did. And as we unpack it, I want to say that the psalms are not written for us to develop a theology of suffering. Rather, they are written for us to help us practically, at our time of deepest need, to speak to God. Because not speaking honestly to God during times of suffering or going quiet on God can cause us great spiritual harm. And if we then come amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ and feel like we need to put on the brave smile at church when we're suffering and say something theologically sound that we don't really feel, it can be quite damaging for our life together as well. One of the modern greats in Psalm scholarship uh, Jamie Grant predict the problem well, saying, "When did we all decide in the Western Church that the God who knows everything, who loves us dearly and knows our hearts, prefers us to mouth polite lies to Him instead of pouring out the truth of how we really feel when we're saved? I'll pick that up again. When did we decide in the Western Church that the God who knows everything? who loves us dearly and knows everything about us, when did we decide that he prefers us to mouth polite, theologically correct lies to him instead of bringing up our hearts on how we really feel? That, to me, I think, gets really right to the heart of our kind of a Western problem of not knowing what to do when the people are in extreme suffering. So with that in mind, let's turn to Psalm 77 now, a great psalm that gives us vocabulary to express our feelings to God when we or others we know are pretty loving. It's thought to be a communal match written to be said or sung together during a time of calamity for the people of God. You can very much imagine it being used by the Jews during the long decades of exile in Babylon. But I actually think the lack of historical context that we know about this psalm is a real gift from God helping believers of any age appropriate these words as needed. The first nine verses resonate so well with us when we're in deep suffering, particularly if we're going through the experience of God feeling absent. Look there at verse 2, that idea of distress, seeking God and not finding comfort. It's shocking for us, we wouldn't say it in polite Christian circles, that the psalmist would be so blunt Yet so real in verse 3, as the psalmist says to God, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. And in verses 7 to 9, the tone gets even stronger, asking if God had rejected them, Has his apparent? unfailing love vanished? Has his promise failed? Has the God of the universe forgotten to be merciful? Most of us, if we're honest, default to not thinking that we could ever speak to the God of the universe like that. But let's stop and have a think about it for a moment, what lamenting like that actually does for us it's much more than just expressing sadness. We're voicing complaint to God, and I think that's a good thing. Because an atheist can ran and all they like, fully expecting it to make no difference whatsoever. Yet as believers who follow Christ, we're expressing our faith that when we give voice to our complaint like this through the Psalms, we're saying to people who watch on as we suffer, and boy, do they watch to see if the Christian faith means anything uh, when Christians are suffering. As we lament like this, we're saying to others, we believe we have someone to complain to, and we believe it makes a difference. As we lament, we're saying to others, we believe we can communicate honestly with the God of the whole universe, and can have a relationship with him that weathers the severe tests that suffering brings. I think there's something extremely profound to see a believer, a brother and sister in Christ in the pits of despair and hurt, just pouring themselves out to God, telling, them about, telling God how they really feel. Lament helps us because we can air hurts and disappointment, even if that disappointment is in God himself. And speaking honestly to God is an act that maintains relationship, even when that relationship's under great stress. If you ask any marriage counsellor what's worse, a couple who fights all the time, or a couple who have given up and won't talk to each other, it's the latter that's far worse when communication ceases. With God, when we're in severe distress, it's better by far and actually really good for us to use the Psalms to voice our complaint, our anger, our doubt when we're suffering. Even if, like Joe, you kind of look back from afar and think we haven't quite got our theology all neatly right with that one. Keep speaking to God as is right, and let the lament psalms give us the language for that season of the soul when we're in deep suffering. And let the psalms encourage us to be real with God and run to Him like a loving Father who really wants to know what's on our heart, and indeed already doesn't. It's hard sometimes to be amongst God's people when we're suffering particularly if you feel under pressure to say those kind of polite, keep your chin up, theologically correct-sounding kind of lies that we're not feeling, instead of being able to share how we really feel. It can be hard, because sometimes if we're not learning from the Psalms like this, if we're not learning to use them uh, in lament, which doesn't get much of a look in the modern church today, because they can leave you feeling as as soon as I express any kind of doubt or complaint against God or anger against God, will my church family freak out and think that I've lost it? Will they try and step in and help me say something a little bit more theologically correct? Put it the other way, I'm sure people would find it much easier to be amongst us during times of extreme trial if we're confident that people would simply lament with us Recapturing the Psalms of Lament can be a wonderful thing to help us do that together. But I think we need to know how to use the Psalms right. I suspect one of the reasons we might not find the Psalms as helpful as they were designed to be by God is because of the movement in most of the Psalms from Lament to Praise. So we can read the first nine verses of Psalm 77, for example, today when we suffering, and think, yep, that sums up totally how I really feel. It's so raw. It's so real. Then the appeal to God, verse 10, as you kind of make the transition, the verses 10 to 20, that great statements of faith and confidence in God can actually make us feel worse because if we don't understand it all right, we can think, well, the first line of verses, they really rang true. But 10 to 20, I just don't have the faith or the heart to say that today. And it can be like just a real kind of kick in the guts at the time where you really most need comfort to feel like you've failed at something else as a Christian. Like if I can identify with this first nine verses, but I can't say with confidence verses 10 to 20, well, that's just another hurry for me. Maybe I'm just not a strong enough uh, kind of Christian be very damaging so it's super important to know how to use the psalms well together as a church and psalms you know think of it much like songs that are written today they might be written over a period of time it might you know, take two or three years to write a, a great song or even if it was written in an afternoon it can express an emotional journey that may have taken years You know, you think of every kind of modern sort of love song from Taylor Swift or something like that, reflecting over, you know, loss of a relationship and finding yourself again. But we all get that that's an emotional journey that takes years. The Psalms are very much like that as well. Here's the Psalms. Maybe reflecting back over a five-year period, that move from doubt anger and confusion with God through to praise, it might have taken years So it's okay for you, this day, to be in a place where you might only be able to pray the first nine verses of Psalm 77, and simply long for the day where you can say uh, verses 10 to 20 with conviction and confidence. But
0: the Psalms don't just give us
1: hope from moving from lament to praise, they also give us guidance on how to do so. Nearly all the Lament Psalms do move to praise, all but Psalm 88. It's the only one. As you read the Laments, as you pray them, look at the actions the psalmists undertake which move them to praise. Again, that might have taken a whole long time. They remembered, take it from Psalm 77 today, verse 11, they remembered the deeds of the Lord. His miracles long ago. He considered pondered God's works and ways, verse 12. He meditated on all God's mighty deeds and considered his ways. And at a time of national calamity, it's appropriate that the psalmist remembers a time of God's great rescue for the nation. For us, recalling Old Testament history is helpful, but we often thirst for something a little more connected to us during times of suffering. And a great thing to do is to reflect on Jesus on the cross, suffering the wrath of God against our sin, so that we don't have to. And You can do that wonderfully with the psalms. Uh, psalm twenty-two is a great one. Perhaps make it your psalm to read along this Easter season as you prepare for it, as we approach it together in Luke's gospel. Psalm twenty-two is the psalm Jesus prayed at the time of his greatest suffering as he hung on the cross. And whatever the psalm meant to King David, hundreds of years before, it finds its greatest fulfilment in Jesus when he mouths its opening line on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The opening line of Psalm 20, uh, 22, uh, you know, I um, if you continue to read on from there, prophetically it says so much about the cross. Imagine Jesus you know, either out loud or running through it in his head. All who see me mock me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands at my feet. They divide my clothes among me. It's all there in Psalm 22. And it finishes Psalm 22 with the great claim that future generations will be told about him, this suffering Messiah King that we now know as Jesus, that future generations will be told about him, proclaiming his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it, speaking about the Messiah who would reconcile God and It's a wonderful encouragement to us to look back and see God keeping His promises over the generations, and it tells us much about the ongoing work that God is doing in His world today through His Church, proclaiming to the generations that people that haven't heard the news yet that Jesus has done it, reconciling God and man on the cross. Reflecting on God's past actions like the psalmist does is a great thing to do when we're feeling lost in the present. And God's action on our behalf on the cross is, of course, the greatest of them all. Yet coming through great trials and out the other side with God takes time. So don't beat yourself up if progress is slow. But today, however... There's one final challenge to allude you to that we face when using Psalms of Lament. Many of us who love God, treasure the Gospel of Jesus, and believe God can act in our world, but actually pray with the assumption that God won't answer those prayers. The prayers challenge us on that because there's either an, uh, an implied or explicitly stated call for God to act now, in this life, for our good. If you've fallen into a pattern of believing God won't act when you pray, it's great to be challenged by the Psalms. Yes, we do go through periods where it feels like prayer is unanswered. Hence, we have Psalms like this one that include a very raw and real feeling of being abandoned by God in the first nine verses of Psalm 77 yet we do worship a God who acts powerfully in our world today, and it's one of the greatest blessings of being in a Christian fellowship like this in this church, to be sharing life together, to balance those times when some of us are feeling like ongoing, persistent prayer is unanswered with those where we see God acting powerfully in the world today. So I'd love to encourage you as you sort of Enter into this new chapter with life, you say goodbye to Cameron, you say goodbye to some people you love, you're building again uh, as a new family, you've got the anticipation of Simon Peter here. To so be the kind of church that actually shares and kind of goes perhaps to the next level with someone else, I'm just being kind of open with what you're struggling with, what you're praying for as you build together. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of a church community where you're walking with people together who are really sort of finding it tough, and yet at the same time, able to celebrate with real joy the great days like today, the vacation this morning, all the birthdays and the good things that are happening in their lives. And also, share as you're able, we've all got limited ability to digest prayer once from afar, but it's... It's great to see what God is doing uh, across our network and beyond in Adelaide. It's great to keep up to date and follow perhaps a missionary family or or two or three through CMS or across our country with Bush Church Aid as we pray uh, today or keep up to date with what God's doing in the Bible College of South Australia. These things provide perspective and assurance when we see God answering prayers in all sorts of ways. As we're sometimes called to persist, sometimes in silence in our prayers, when the answer seems silent, but also particularly when we're praying for things and God's answer is actually no. I've been praying, obviously, a lot for my brother before his death, and the answer to those prayers was quite obviously a no from God. That in God's kindness, it's balanced from 10 years earlier, where he actually attempted suicide during, with the exact same method and was miraculously saved, like a whole nine yards. Visions of angels, confounding uh, sort of medical doctors, and things like that. So for me, even in just that one story, I think it sort of encapsulates something beautiful about our relationship with God, that we have to have an understanding of God and His ways that encompasses both the astounding and miraculous yeses to our prayers and the crushing silence of God's noes. And when we're dealing with the nose or the silence from God, and to from experience, Psalm 77 is a beautiful one to lament with together, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're feeling little Running to God, like a loving father, speaking to him about how we really feel with the Psalms, it's a very precious breath. Knowing the God who acts today does make our displeasure at his seeming inaction, or sometimes the nose, even more real. We often don't have enough information at hand to see what God is doing through our suffering. Yet as we speak to Him, as we run to Him, using the Psalms, we're expressing trust in Him. Even when we get it horribly wrong theologically, in our pain, we might overstep. But as Job commends to you, as the Psalmist commends to you, as I commend to you, keep speaking to God as is right in your pain. And the Psalms give us a spectacularly rich sort of theological vocabulary. To do so, because we have a God who cares for us deeply. Follow the psalmist's lead in remembering times when God's presence in your life was keenly felt. Consider His ways to previous generations. Meditate on His word. Long for God to answer prayer. And however long it takes, or however different the answers to our prayers might be. When it comes, when we get those little insights this side of heaven, we might get them all. But when we do see them, declare God's praises like the psalmists do. In the depths of suffering, if that's you, know that we worship a God who came to to earth as a man and suffered with us and ultimately for us on the cross. To deal such a decisive blow against evil, so that anyone can have their sins wiped clean through Jesus' death on the cross for us, to secure for everyone who would willingly bow the knee to Jesus an eternal life free from suffering because of our suffering servant, Him. So I actually want to close today by using the first nine verses of Psalm 77 corporately together, that's often how the psalms were used, and I think that's why God's provided uh, it for us. So we're going to say it out loud together in a moment, but it'll be up on the screen. But as we do so, just be aware today, with brothers and sisters in Christ, for some of us, it may unlock hurts and emotions and feelings and sufferings, disappointment, either past or present. And if that's you, you might not be able to speak to it. But do feel the love of your brothers and sisters in Christ saying it on your behalf as we lament together. Knowing that corporate lament helps us deepen our relationship with God, it helps us deepen our relationships together. And also, in a time where our world has many very apparent griefs, you may simply wish to uh, think of your brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe. In the persecuted church, who are suffering as well. So let's lament together now in verses 1 to 9 of Psalm 77. And then, know if it's all right, we might just give people 60 seconds just to sit in silence and reflect. So let's lament together now. I believe it's up on the screen. So, together, I cried out to God, to God. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I saw the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands
0: and would not be
1: comforted.
0: I remembered you, God, and I
1: groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about former days and years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit passed. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his untaken love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in the withheld his compassion?